Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry and today we're going to find out what journalists know and don't know about health reporting around coronavirus. Join me on Google Hangout today is Megan Morelli, Programme Manager of Meden, which is a non-profit tech company that runs initiatives to strengthen journalism. She's also the in-house journalist and editorial lead of Meden's Digital Health Lab, which is what we're going to talk a lot about today. The lab is, at its core, a website where any journalist can submit their burning questions about COVID-19 to be fact-checked by its team of in-house scientists. Meden gets lots of questions from its partners in the news industry, but you can also do this right now by heading over to www.learnaboutcovid19.org. So, since launching in May, it's given in-depth fact-checks to close to 150 questions ranging between the more simple can COVID-19 be spread through money, to the more technical, can antihistamines treat COVID-19? The tricky part of this project is that we don't know everything about the disease, so the team has come up with this term mid-information to describe this sort of middle ground, and we'll explore deeper how the team fact-checks science when it's still not fully understood. That's all to come, but before we jump in, here's something to put into your diary. As well as great editorial content, journalism.co.uk provides media training for journalists, editors and other media professionals. On the 5th of October 2020, we are running a Storytelling and Engagement Techniques Masterclass led by David Atkinson, an established freelance journalist with bylines in The Telegraph, The Guardian and The Daily Mail. For this course and all the other great courses we run, head over to journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Megan, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. How's the working situation going at the moment? It's good. It's good. I'm in Toronto, um, heading back to New York tomorrow. Uh, so it's good. We, we've always been remote. so Always been remote. So the working from home situation is not too much different than usual then. Another day in the office, air quotes. Yeah, exactly. We've, <laughs> we kind of like watched everyone else struggle with this transition as we kind of were like, oh yeah, then we've been doing this for a while. So we're good. Oh, okay. Good to know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll touch on that. But of course, today we're here to talk about the Digital Health Lab, which obviously you've been in the thick of uh, putting together since since sort of late May when you launched, right? So why don't we start just by telling our listeners a little bit about um, how the lab works and and who it's really for, Megan? Yeah, for sure. So the Digital Health Lab uh, is it's basically a public health research unit, and it's focused specifically on access to information and health information equity. So like equal access um, to health information. So the lab supports fact checkers, health communications groups, journalists, um, and we provide them with like tools and teachings and research that can help them strengthen their work doing all of that. When the pandemic hit, there was a bunch of sort of COVID misinformation floating around, obviously, um, and it started to become a really big problem. Um, And we kind of looked around and thought, we are actually very well equipped to sort of support the high quality information sharing surrounding um, COVID. So we had like a bunch of discussions with our existing partners at the health lab and in with Medan in general. Um, And we kind of defined a few problems um, that we saw with, or or not problems, but like challenges that fact checkers and journalists were having. 
Um, the first was basically that like general assignment reporters, um, when the pandemic hit, were all of a sudden being forced to be science reporters <laughs> and have science sources. Correct. <laughs> and they were totally swamped with trying to sort of distill all of this emerging research, all of this information about vaccines, all and like in the early days, all of this information about what transmission meant um, and how it was evolving. Um, and like specifically smaller fact-checking organizations have um we 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 found like quite limited access to very busy scientists that are working on and there's only there's only a few people in the world that are studying these very sort of specific emerging topics and so the source pool is really small those were the two main things that we saw at the health lab when covid hit and all of the information uh that was sort of being shared and that people were trying to debunk and to try to provide context around um, was all under development still, it, and it still is, like emerging research, emerging information about transmission, um, incomplete knowledge about vaccines. So journalists and fact checkers were trying to basically provide information and explain um, concepts and science um, that are still kind of evolving. Hmm. It's really interesting. So how's the team set up and, and what's kind of your role in it? The health lab in general right now is a team of in-house scientists. Um, so we have people who are epidemiologists, infectious disease researchers, public health experts, um, and with and, and they've all sort of had various trainings and um, practical experience in parts all parts of the world. Um and so they're the scientists that are sort of helping uh, distill complex COVID topics for journalists in these like explainers that we're writing, basically. And uh, I'm the editorial lead. So I'm kind of like the journalist in-house that um, works with the scientists on um, explaining these for our fact-checking and journalism partners um, and communicating the science um, in a way that is digestible. What's the remit of the topics that we might see on the website? What's What are the key topics that you would try to cover? It's almost 100% defined by what journalists and fact checkers ask us to cover. So each week we have an editorial meeting and we go over questions that have been um, submitted to us by our partners and we prioritize um, based on their deadlines. It, it's sort of similar to any editorial um, prioritization process. Um, but we answer questions about everything they ask us things about masks, vaccines, emerging treatments, um, transmission. So like I would say 25% is information that is already well known, where there's research that is already um, already out there and quite definitive. But a lot of the stuff that we cover is this, this thing that we're calling like mid-information, where it's information that is still evolving. So we try to provide context and be transparent about that as well and explain that for our partners. So these are concretely real-world requested uh, fact-checks from the media and journalism industry? 100%. And then, and then secondly, second to that, we also, like, I have my eye on the news and our scientists have their eye on emerging research. So we bring ideas to those those editorial meetings as well that we can... Um, put into the mix as well if we have capacity for it. Um, so like I'll see 
you know, um, breaking news, for example, on a vaccine trial or on a new treatment that's just gotten approved. Um, you can anticipate what journalists will ask. I am interested to dig into the into the weeds, as it were, of, of the fact-checking process. Um, before we dive into that, how is this project funded? Yeah, good question. So we've got a list of funders. We've got Google, Facebook, Omidyar, um, CEDA, which is the Swedish International Development Agency. We operate the way any nonprofit newsroom would operate, which is to say that we have like a statement of editorial independence on our website where we commit to nonpartisan, objective, uninfluenced um, distillation of research um, and analysis of our findings. And we will always proactively disclose um, who our funders are. Um, so, so I think I did. Oh, the last one that I didn't get is Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as well. Super. Must be nice having a team of in-house scientists at your disposal. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's um, it's different. <laughs> you're you're used to working in a remote scenario. How does that how does that work when you're uh, have to consistently go back to sources? in this way and, and work with those scientists? It's really helpful. Um, basically, it in, what it enables is journalists and fact checkers are working on tight deadlines. Um, sometimes news breaks really quickly and um, having in-house scientists helps us meet those sort of rapid response demands. So sometimes journalists will message us and say, like, I need this today or I need this this afternoon. And we have in-house scientists and, um, like, people that are on call to edit anything, um, basically, as news breaks. So we work with the news cycle that way. Mm. So take me behind the scenes, uh, as, it, as it were. When a, when a lead comes through to you, what's the process of you fact-checking that and, and deciding which questions get answered, really? Yeah, so we have... Um, like editorial meetings the way like a newsroom would basically um, at the beginning of each week and questions come in um, from our partners and we basically go through like editorial triaging which is this term that our our scientists have really brought into the mix of this and I and I love using it for this concept because we're basically going through like a, a prioritization criteria so based on sort of essential editorial things like what's the deadline of the information how um harmful could this misinformation be um uh like yeah basically things like that where we're trying to answer questions based on how quickly it needs to be responded to how quickly the partner needs it um how persistent the information is at some point um I love this analogy of the triage, like this this kind of waiting room of, of questions waiting for you in the morning. Um, what's the scale of the task right now with just how much journalists want and need to know? Like just how much uncertainty is there around this topic? It's significant, especially because the uncertainty comes from the amount of questions that arise when the desire to know a truth actually outpaces the science surrounding that truth. Mm, yeah. So it's really hard because it means that people want to know what's going on. They want to know when vaccines are going to come, what the science is like surrounding transmission or around emerging treatments. And often like we come as people come to, we, we try to fill in the gaps ourselves 
Um, and so that can, that can create a lot of um, corners of confusion and, mi- and what we're calling like mid-information where the science is not firm yet. Um, yeah, so it, it's quite broad. And, and our, our team uh, here has come up with this term mid-information, which is like information where the sort of scientific evidence is not conclusive yet. Uh, have you got a good example of mid-information? Yeah, I mean, a great example is like everyone wants to know when a vaccine will be ready. And we don't know. A good example of how we try to tackle a question like that is like, it really comes down to like the stuff you learn in journalism school, where it's like, be transparent about what you don't know. Um, Be uh, transparent about um, when things are being disagreed upon, like in the scientific community. Um, And just explain to your readers what we know so far. Where is the science still really uncertain? What's an example of where it is still quite shaky and you are calling for further research or calling for further exploration? Yeah, almost everywhere. I mean, there are certain things that are, there are certain things that do seem certain. Like, like information about masks is asked to us a lot. And often we're able to come back with a pretty solid, um, definitive answer about the safety of masks. But something like, uh, treatments that are emerging um, that are still being studied or vaccines that are still being studied um, or even transmission. Like we think we know a lot about transmission of COVID-19 right now, but ultimately um, we don't know a lot about um, antibodies um, or, and we don't know a lot about asymptomatic transmission still. Most of health work in general, like health science in general is an ongoing discussion. That's what I really love about our scientists is that they're very used to this concept of mid-information. Um, they, they are trained to understand science as a um, ongoing sort of research um, and always coming to more and more conclusions. So even though certain things like masks or certain things are very um, well understood, but most of COVID is is still not well understood. We're only like however many months into this disease, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly right. But I mean, mask because that has a, a, a long history of research with it in, in other cases, doesn't it? So that's why you can lean on that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Masks are not a new thing. Um, the way a COVID vaccine is, um, or even some of the mechanisms that are being used to produce this vaccine. So there's so much we don't know. Um, but there are certain things that we do know, like a significant amount about can't be easy can't be easy what would happen hypothetically if later research were to um fly in the face of something you'd already published what would you do yeah that's a great question so unlike a news story where um a piece or a fact check even is anchored in time with like a date time stamp this information we aim for it to be um living so we, every week, on top of sourcing new questions from partners and bringing them in ourselves, um, we also are always updating stuff. So our scientists have an eye on how the research is changing and how the major sort of questions around COVID-19 are evolving. Um, and they they update that information. Uh, we have a a demarcation at the top of each entry that shows when the last modification was. Uh, So we're always bringing in like new research. If something significant changes, for example, with uh, a treatment or with a um, vaccine or new news about how COVID spreads, um, we're always bringing that into those pieces and, and marking obviously when 
um, something's been updated. Research happens so gradually that we haven't come across a situation where an update is like a full 180. Um, that has not happened. If something we wrote came to like a screeching turn, um, we would tell a partner. Um, but that that really has not been the case just because the information flow has been pretty linear. Do you kind of see a trajectory in terms of where research is headed then? And you can, because you, you just said you don't often get a 180. If research was heading in that direction, you'd then presumably be able to anticipate that. Yeah, and and it's not like one study will fall from the sky and change everything. Like, that's just not how, as as the team of scientists has taught me, like, that's just not how science works. Like, it is it is a building of a body of evidence towards a weight of evidence rather than oh like something drops and and everything changes like that's just not really how science evolves so where's the innovation of this fact checking project how does it compare against fact checking that you've done in the past we are b2b so we support fact checkers and journalists we don't see ourselves as fact checkers um but we're here to insert ourselves basically in between this sort of emerging science and the fact checkers that are trying to communicate that science in sort of under-resourced um, situations where it's like an, been a pandemic and an emergency and nobody has, um, like a lot of places at least, don't have like dedicated science reporters or health reporters. Um, so we situate ourselves in between those two. Like we're not really writing these for the public, although we write them in a way that's accessible enough that the public could you could read them and understand them. Um, but but our main audience and our, our main mission is to support uh, journalists and fact checkers. On the other end of the scale, what's kind of like, how technical does it get and how like in-depth and in the weeds does it get? Oh, that's a great question. There was one we did the other week about a specific dosage of a specific drug. Like we get really specific because it's any, because we're, we're serving the audiences of different newsrooms. And so some places like want to know very specifically there was one about like levitop 500 and if it could treat covid um and i hadn't seen that anywhere um but we had a newsroom ask that or a fact checking organization ask that and uh and yeah it gets that it really gets that specific yeah all burning questions go over there then so what's what's kind of next for the project where do you where do you think it will go from here yeah so we really want to expand um, our capacity so that we can focus more on what the next phase of mid-information or misinformation seems to be um, going towards, which is like more focus on um, being able to field more questions about emerging treatments. Um, that's going to be like, I think our scientists sort of have an eye on this and see this as the next stage of um where the information will go, um, or the or the mid information more specifically, and and then vaccines as well. Like the vaccine information um, is going to be hopefully a priority for us going forward, and and being able to field more requests from more newsrooms and fact checking organizations um, in order to sort of better support them, and to hopefully lead on a more positive note, like. 
the prognosis from here, do you think we are moving to a point now where we are better informed with the science and, and we are really starting to understand it? Just how much how much left is there to understand is what I kind of want to get at. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, we don't know because we also don't know about long-term effects of this disease yet. Like there's so many questions um, that remain unanswered. Um, and then not to blow it right open, but like not just for this disease. I mean, this is a problem with every disease and with all sort of health topics because a lot of these problems and the misinformation that's sort of swirling around uh, about them leads to actual real world harm. Like we've had, we've seen cases of people like actually ingesting things that they think are treatments and then getting sick or dying from them. The stuff that's happening with COVID right now is an example of stuff that happens with, you know, misinformation around Ebola, um, HIV, uh, like lots of different health topics, vaccines more generally, not just the COVID vaccine. So it's all a big question mark and, and it expands much further than just COVID. But we're trying to tackle one problem set at a time here. <laughs> Megan, this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you about the Digital Health Lab. Uh, thanks for all of your time and insights today. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Interesting to catch up with Megan about that project. And as the potential of a second lockdown looms over us, it could be a really useful resource for journalists. So the link again is www.learnaboutcovid19.org. And there you can find all the existing fact checks and submit your own urgent questions too. It also gives us pause for thought because... We don't know everything about the disease and it's going to be a slow building process until we do. And our coverage needs to reflect that reality. If you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. And if you'd like to feature on an episode, then I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. That's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.